Welcome to the Desert Sun Podcast with me, your host, Tim Newman. I'm also the author of the blog, White Sun of the Desert, which can be found at www.desertsun.co.uk. Thank you for joining me. Well, I hope everybody had a good Christmas. Um, I don't have a guest with me this week, so I've decided just to do a short podcast by myself. I was going to do this as a blog post. It's something that I've had a bit of a be in my bonnet about for a few weeks now and I thought about writing it but to be honest I'm a bit tired of writing. I've spent the Christmas holidays so far working on my dissertation which doesn't have to be until next summer but I'm decided to do a lot of the early work up front just to make sure I'm ahead of the curve for the rest of my academic year and I've been writing quite a bit on my second novel So I'm up to about 30,000 words on that. I've done about 8,000 words over the last few days. So it's actually quite nice to take a break from the blogging and uh, concentrate on that. But I'm just a bit fed up with writing. So I just decided to just to fill in a bit of a gap uh, to do a podcast, a quick one on my own. I do have a guest that I'm speaking to tomorrow. I'll probably release that podcast after the new year. I'm not sure how many people are um back in work or back into their normal routine and I don't really like putting stuff out when everyone's on holidays nobody reads it um so I probably won't do another blog post till well maybe maybe not till the new year I'm not sure I might put one out next week but uh anyway what I wanted to talk about was um kind of a phenomenon I'm sure many of you are familiar with something that's very annoying when something is taking place, an activity is taking place at an amateur level and it's going well and it has quite a nice sort of informal amateur feel to it and that's what that's what the appeal is of the activity in question and as it grows in success suddenly it gets invaded by people who are professionals or semi-professionals And that kind of skews the whole thing and it knocks it out of whack. And sometimes it kills the activity completely. Uh, For example, I understand that now this is what I've been told. So I'm I'm not going to back this up with anything. This is what I've been told by asking people. The charity Help the Heroes popped up out of nowhere after the the early stages of the the Afghan and Iraq uh, wars. And that was a real uh, grassroots amateur movement where friends of the military would collect money in order to uh, pay for the rehabilitation and for the families of injured soldiers. And it grew really quickly because it was always a good name. It was obviously something that people could get behind. It seemed a bit less uh, formal than the big established charities. And yeah, it did quite well. And I had a friend who uh, devoted quite a bit of effort to raising money for help the heroes who's a marine officer and then when he fell sick he benefited from the 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 donations given to the charity to help him and his family so it was a, a real worthwhile cause but i i heard recently that that's been taken over by the professional charity grifters people obviously saw there was a lot of money in it and turned up with their cvs and you know took the thing over so apparently it's lost a lot of its grassroots appeal um and another example is the the 
recent when was it? It was this year, wasn't it? The RNLI, where everyone seemed to think that the RNLI was still, you know, made up of a few rough blokes who, you know, through lack of anything better to do, decided they'll put to sea and have a bit of an adventure saving stricken uh, sailors. And then this year we found that actually the CEO or director or anything is just some professional grifter who climbed the greasy pole in the Royal Navy and then jumped into this director's position overseeing billions of pounds. And he sent some diversity coordinator out to a lifeboat station in Yorkshire who saw a mug and thought it was problematic because it had a picture of a woman on it and started firing lifeboatmen. So... This is, I think this is a, a common phenomenon. Another one uh, I heard as well is that in some open mic and karaoke nights in small towns around the UK, I don't know if this happens anymore. I heard that this used to happen uh, 15 years ago. I don't even know if they still have karaoke nights. But in some of the pubs up in uh, the working men's towns, occasionally you get a guy show up who was a member of a band obviously not a big band but sort of a semi-professional band and he had a proper he knew the songs he could sing properly and he'd turn up and walk away with a hundred quid prize and that's not the point of a karaoke night in a pub so these guys started getting banned and what this reminds me of is something i see happening on twitter now twitter the appeal of twitter i don't know why twitter was set up initially but the appeal of it certainly to a lot of people, was that it was finally a way for news to spread unfiltered by the mainstream media and that news travelled a lot quicker. The opinions that were being presented seemed to be a lot more authentic. There was a lot more bullshit in there as well, of course, but you could filter that out because you had so many different people giving a take on it. And it really became a very good source of news and opinion. I mean, it didn't take long for any event happened. You'd have, firstly, you'd have eyewitnesses on the ground, half of whom had taken the video that's being shown. You'd then have people chiming in with their personal experience, their professional experience, their specialised knowledge. And even now, I find it a very good way to keep uh, informed about various events because sooner or later, somebody comes along and, and, and who knows what they're talking about. And then they build up a bit of a reputation. But what I found is um, what you see now is a lot of the big accounts on Twitter are actually mainstream media journalists. And of course, they've all got the blue check mark and they've got 20,000 followers. And they're all giving their opinions on current affairs. And my view of that is, well, this isn't really your turf, mate. You have an outlet which is your newspaper or your TV station or your magazine, you have that outlet for your opinions. Why are you here? If anybody was interested in your opinions, they already know where to get them. They're already there. You're not, av- you're not bringing anything new. All you're doing is you've realised that, oh, this is where all the, the stuff's happening now. Well, let's go over there and sort of, you know, keep saying the same thing we've said over there, but we'll say it in this venue now. And I find it a bit annoying because these guys turn up, uh, men and women, with, yeah, 20,000 followers, which sounds impressive, but they've got an entire corporation behind them. This is their job. They are professional 
journalists or, or columnists, and they are paid to give their opinion, and there is an entire organisation behind them publishing it and, in, and boosting their profile. So although they turn up with 20,000, 15,000, 10,000 followers, it sounds impressive. It's actually not that impressive because it's, it's, they're doing it as a job, it's a profession. It's little different from you, you're in a five-a-side football league where after work a few of you have a kickabout and a couple of semi-pros turn up and suddenly they're winning 8-0 every night. That's not particularly impressive. These guys should be playing in a much bigger tournament. And mainstream media journalists turning up on Twitter feels a bit like that. And I've noticed that a lot of it is they're not really, they're not adding anything new. All they're doing is repeating the same stuff that they're told to say or they're paid to say in their, in their main organs. I mean, you've got a guy at the moment um, who writes for The Economist and he's just blurting out the same rubbish he writes in The Economist. And of course he has, I don't know, I haven't even looked, but probably 10, 15,000 followers all clapping him. But look, if I want to know, if I want to read what people in The Economist think, I'll buy The Economist. But nobody's, but they, they, they've seen their subscriptions dwindling and nobody's interested anymore. So they've decided to jump into the sort of the amateur sort of free-for-all backed by the money and the reputation and the followers they have from doing it professionally for a corporation, and they're skewing it. And it's the problem with Twitter is it's a network. If you see the same thing on YouTube, YouTube has got a lot of amateur content, and a lot of professionals have started getting on YouTube as well. But because YouTube is structured in channels, you don't really have the effect where, say, an Ariana Grande turns up on YouTube with her channel and that totally distorts and skews everything for all the other people. That doesn't happen because it's structured in channels. But with a network effect, where, um, like Twitter, you get somebody suddenly coming in with 20,000, 30,000 already, an audience of 20,000, 30,000 already paid for, then it kind of skews everything. You end up sort of the a lot of the the voices you kind of want to hear are suddenly sort of, again, not quite, not filtered, but they're certainly funneled by these blue check professional media people sort of squeezing them out a bit. And the conversations tend to coalesce around them. And I mean, I'm not saying they should be kicked off, but it's why I don't really follow any mainstream media people. There's also an awful lot of log rolling that goes on. That's one of the things that really annoys me about the mainstream media. I, I work this out when you look on the profile of, say, a, a CNN presenter or a, um, a, a Washington Post journalist, and it always refers to their, their book that they've written, which says New York Times bestseller. Well, the reason it's a New York Times bestseller is because the guys who create that list in the New York Times are their mates. They're all the same people, they're all the same class of people. They all have the same political opinions. And, you know, one of them writes a book and gives it to his mate who works in the New York Times and says, oh, can you have a look at this? And of course, they all then start talking about it amongst themselves. And you see this even with articles in the main mainstream media articles on Twitter. I'm looking now at the the Twitter feed of a Times columnist. And here's an example quote. 
Through professionalism and tenacious inquiry, my friend and colleague, Rachel Sylvester, has done a public service in exposing a weak politician. Congrats to my friend and former colleague, Bronwyn Maddox, on being appointed editor of Prospect. She is a top journalist. This is basically mainstream media journalists who work for a newspaper turning up on Twitter to log roll for one another and tell each other how great they are. And it's really irritating. They already have a forum for that, which is their newspapers. But people have avoided that. In fact, they've deliberately come to Twitter to avoid this kind of crap. If they wanted this, if these journalists were successful and people really wanted to hear their opinions in big numbers, Twitter would never be successful. You'd never have people discussing news events on Twitter. It was set up, or it's really, it's, it's been a success, precisely because people got on, wanted an alternative view. And suddenly these guys, who they're, everyone's trying to avoid, has jumped in and brought all their subscribers with them. And for me, it's a, the best analogy I can think of is this. You have some ageing rock star who was big in the 70s. And then kind of, you know, didn't renew his material, drifted out of favour, couldn't get the, the, the big stadiums anymore, started performing in smaller venues. And then he's figured out that actually where it's all happening now is kind of small gigs in local bars and, and really small venues with amateur bands, you know, performing for free, trying to get their, their, their act out there. And this guy who's still, you know, he used to get a few million followers, now he's down to about you know, a couple of hundred thousand. He can probably get 20,000 in any venue, but, you know, they're the same guys. They're all over 60 now. He basically has decided, oh, well, this is where all the, all the new action's happening. I'm just going to go and invade this. So he walks into an open mic night, brings 300 followers with him, and puts on a performance, and his 300 followers think it's brilliant, they're applauding, and they're completely drowning out everybody else. Whereas that's not actually your forum. Your forum is somewhere else but he's kind of invaded it and yeah this is kind of what I, I see happening on Twitter so my advice is well I don't know my advice you can do what you want but for me I really I just ignore any mainstream media journalists now obviously I don't mind the freelancers I don't mind people who write for smaller outlets or some of these new up-and-coming ones but if you see journalists whose name you already know whose opinions everybody's been reading for years and everybody knows them they're household names and they have regular slots in national television or national newspapers why the hell are they on twitter they've got no business being there and the only reason they're there is because their product was so bad in the forum that they're employed to to create for that they've had to turn up and basically pinch someone else's audience so that's why, really, I, I can't really, I don't, I don't, I don't really, fo well, I follow a few of them, just really, just to, to see what the mainstream media is thinking. But it's, it's something I find annoying. Anyway, that's all I really wanted to say. It was just a short podcast to say that, and it's easier than writing a, a blog post. So I'll put something else up next week. And uh, in the meantime, I wish you all a happy new year. Mm -hmm.